in, uh, in Aesop's fables, there is a story, and some of you probably heard this story, I'm sure probably when you were in uh, grade school, uh, and it's a story about a group of mice that lived in a barn. Yeah, uh, and, and, and life in that barn was absolutely uh, wonderful for these mice, except for that sneaky old cat. That sneaky old cat kept coming around, and, and there probably wasn't a day went by when at least one of the mice wasn't being chased or wasn't eaten by this cat. So finally, the head mouse calls for a meeting, and he brings them all together, and he says this, Ladies and gentlemen, youngsters and baby mice, the time has now come to resolve our problem with the cat. Does anyone have a solution to our problem? Well, it said there was all kind of uh, discussion and, and there was talk. Uh, ideas and suggestions were abuzz, but, but there was just wasn't none of them seemed like it would, would solve the problem. Then there was a young mouse that stood up and said, I have an idea. He said, let's hang a bell around the cat's neck. And that way, when we hear the bell ringing, we'll know the cat is nearby and we can all run off to safety. Well, every mouse in the house jumped and clapped and applauded this young mouse suggestion. It was wonderful. Well, after everyone sat down and after the applause settled down, the head mouse stood up again and he said, you know, our young friend's plan here is very simple, but it's ingenious. Now, once the bell is around the cat's neck, we can all live in this barn in safety. Now... I have one brief question to ask you all. <laughs> you know where I'm going, don't you? <laughs> Which one of you will volunteer to put the bell on the cat's neck? That's always a good question, isn't it? That's always a good question. Which one of you will volunteer to put the bell around the cat's neck? I have been in meetings which were absolutely mind-numbing meetings and all of these ideas and these suggestions, and you've been in the meetings too, I know you have, all these ideas and suggestions go around, but, when, but nothing gets accomplished, nothing, because no one wants to do the hard, dirty, or maybe dangerous work that needs to be done to have change. Many great suggestions. But nothing gets done because no one wants to bail the cat. Well, there was a lady by the name of Joyce Riley, and she was ready to bail the cat. Joyce lived in a community where young people were being killed almost on a weekly basis. In just a few short months, they had lost 19 young men in her community. Her own grandson had been killed two and a half years earlier. And she, and, and she was angry, and, and she's confused, and she can't figure out why somebody doesn't do something. She wonder why doesn't somebody do something to stop this crime and these criminals from taking over our neighborhood. Then she said one day, as she's discussing and talking about it, she said God spoke to her heart and said, Joyce, why don't you do something? And that's when Joyce went to the local police department. And she said, we need your help. I have some ideas and we need your help. And the, the police officer said, Joyce, you do whatever you want to do. And when you need help, we'll be right there. So Joyce organized 
the, the neighbors in the community, and every Friday evening, they took to the streets. Whether it was rain, shine, sleet, or snow, the weather didn't matter. Every Friday evening, they took to the streets. So they had taken to the streets before when someone was killed. They would have a, a candlelight vigil, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but nothing was ever accomplished. They would go out. They'd walk up down the street with their candles. Everybody would go home, and nothing was ever changed. But she said now it was different because they were determined and they, they were determined to get the crooks and the criminals and these gun-carrying thugs off the streets. Enough was enough. They'd had all they could take. So every Friday night, they took to the streets, and they mingled in among, among them. The criminals, they mingled in among them. They refused to be intimidated. And they decided that these criminals were not going to take over their neighborhood. She said they were threatened. They were sexually harassed. But every Friday night, they showed up once again and marched up and down the street. Joyce Riley said, I was not doing my own thing. I was doing a God thing. I was doing what God asked me to do. She said, this was a vision from God, and God told her, you take to the streets, you take people with you, and I'll be there with you. So they continued to do it, and in a three-year period of time, there had only been one shooting in that, in that street because Joyce Riley was willing to bail the cat. But it seems, church, today, people aren't willing to make a commitment. They're not. People are not willing to make a commitment. Uh, they, 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 they enjoy their, their freedom. They enjoy their comfort. They enjoy their leisure time, Right? You can always find some people that are good for the short haul. You can always find people that are there for a short period of time. But when the going gets tough, that's when they leave. Jesus faced the same problem in this scripture that I just read to you. He's facing the same problem here. The scripture from John chapter 6. This takes place in Capernaum. And Jesus has just told his followers some very difficult teaching. And it proved to be too difficult for some of them. And, and, and they, some of them become upset, some of them become confused, especially when Jesus told them that I am the bread of life. Now, when he said that, some of them objected to that because they think he's trying to compare himself to Moses, who gave manna and bread to the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness. Jesus then said, I am the bread that come down from heaven. Well, some people didn't, didn't like that because they'd known him all his life. They knew that was Mary and Joseph's son. They watched him grow up. Then he said something that really confused them in verse 53. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you, you have no life in you. Now, to many of them, that sounded like cannibalism. And that turned many of them, turned many of them off, and they, they turned away and, and, and wouldn't follow him. That's when Jesus turns to his disciples, his 12 disciples, his, his chosen 12. He turns to them and says, are you going to leave? Are you going to leave also? And that's when Peter speaks up. And Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? You are the one that has the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One that was sent from God. Now, Peter, like all of us, we all have our faults, Right? Peter had his fault. Peter was impulsive. 
There was a lot of times when Peter speaks, probably when he should have kept his mouth shut. But there's one thing you can say about Peter, and that was Peter was willing to bail the cat. Peter was willing to do whatever was necessary in order to follow Jesus Christ. He was willing to do it. And church, listen to me this morning. God is still looking for people who are willing to bail the cat. Amen? He is. I'm telling you. He's still looking for people willing to do the hard work. There is a great need, such a great need, church, in churches today for people who are passionate about following Jesus Christ. I mean, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating for pastors because people can be so passionate about so many other things that have no eternal value whatsoever. Amen? We can be passionate about so many things. Let me tell you about a fellow by the name of David Moffat. David Moffat was someone like a lot of us who was passionate about sports. Now, I'm going to stop right here just for a second because I want to be sure you heard what I said. I said he's like a lot of us. And you see I'm hitting myself on the chest who is passionate about sports. Okay? I don't want you to think I'm standing up here throwing stones uh, at, at anybody because I know... I know that one week from this coming Saturday, West Virginia plays at Maryland. I know that. And I know the week after that, Long Island comes to Morgantown. And I know the week after that, thank God, <laughs> Virginia Tech Hokies, they're going to come to Morgantown, and we get to play Virginia Tech again. You see, I have the West Virginia football schedule on my calendar, on my phone. I know when we play, I know who we play, I know where we play, and as soon as the time comes out, I put that on there. I love my sport, and there's nothing wrong with liking sports, okay? Many of us like our sports. But listen about David Moffat. David was so passionate about sports that for six years of his life, he lived, he ate, and he slept in his car. He drove all across America. He has been in every NFL, National Hockey League, Major League Baseball, NBA stadium or arena and watch them play on their home court. Every one of them. He's been to all of them. This guy has, has watched hundreds of horse races, car races, golf tournaments, little league baseball games, and surprisingly, it doesn't cost him a lot of money. It doesn't because he says he, this is his, this is his, his words, he says he eats vegetables from a can, he sneaks empty hot dog buns into the stadium where he can fill them up with relish and mustard and, and whatever is in there that, 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 that's free. He shaves in Walmart restrooms. He takes, he takes showers in truck stops. He never pays to park his car. He buys the cheapest ticket that he can find. He eats bananas for breakfast. And he always orders lunch from the McDonald's $1 value meal. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, that guy is an idiot. But, he, but, but you'd be wrong because he is very intelligent. This, this fellow has four master's degrees. And he recently, or he just retired from 30 years of teaching in school. He, he's someone who loves sports, okay? Now, not surprisingly, he has an ex-wife, okay? You could probably figure that one out. He has two estranged daughters. 
He has a girlfriend who teaches school in Japan, and he has let it be known that if she ever complains about his passion for sports, they're done. All right? I mean, most people would think, including me, this guy just a little bit obsessed with sports. Okay? Just a little bit obsessed with sports. But what about any person? Now that we've had a laugh, listen to what I'm about to say. What about any person who is more obsessed with their leisure time and their hobbies than they are given to God? Could not the same thing be said about us? Could it not be said that we worship our recreation and leisure time and entertainment more than God? People unwilling to do the hard Demanding work of following Jesus Christ is a great concern in the church today. In church, we are living in the last days. Now listen, I, this, this is my own personal opinion. Donnie kind of touched on this a little bit in Sunday school. I, I Personally, I think we are in the final days of the last days. This thing's coming to a head. Donnie brought this out in Sunday school this morning. Watch what's happening over in the Middle East. Watch what's happening around Afghanistan. Keep your eye on this, okay? Keep your eye on Russia and China, North Korea. Keep your eye on all of these things. Bible, it's right here. It's right here in Scripture. We are in the, we are in the final days of the last day. And more than any other time in history, the church needs people that are willing to bail the cat. Jesus is looking for people who will not turn back, but who will follow him and give him their lives. That's who Jesus is looking for. People, are commit, people who are committed to doing the work because they're convinced that one day soon Jesus is coming back. That's who he's looking for. People willing to do the work because they're convinced that he's coming back. You know, on your phone... On my iPhone, and, and I, guess, I guess it comes up maybe on my Facebook. I'm not sure. But, but so many times a week, it'll say, here is a memory from ever, about five, six, seven years ago that we wanted to share with you. I got one of those uh, last week, or a couple weeks before last maybe. And, and, and it was, and it brought back a lot of memories to me. What it was, it was a picture uh, when we were at Broad Street United Methodist Church, we had something that they called uh, the Back to School Bash. That's what they called it. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at that picture and I'm remembering how all that happened. I remember one Sunday morning, there was two ladies who come to me, Carolyn uh, Hamrick and Dodie Arbogast. They come to me and said, said Richard, we'd like to do a, a school supply giveaway. Uh, and we'll take care of it. We'll do it all. We'll get the people to work. We'll, we'll, get, uh, we'll get the school supplies. We'll have people donate. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. We'll do it all. I said, hey, that's, that is a great idea. That's wonderful. Do it. Well, it wasn't just a few days after that. Some of the women from the kitchen committee come to me and said, Richard, said, they're going to give away school supplies. I said, yeah, they're, they're setting it up. And she said, well, what about, why don't we fix hot dogs and, and we'll have chips and drinks. And when all these kids come in for their school supplies, we'll, we'll feed them, them and their parents while they're here. I, she said, we, you know, we have everything we need. We have plenty of people to help, and we'll take care of it. I said, great, do it. Well, a couple days after that, I had another group of ladies come to me and said, look, they're having this school supply giveaway, said, and they're going to feed them. 
Why don't we go out back in the yard behind the church and, and we'll set up water games and we'll advertise that they, they should wear their bathing suit and, and they can throw water balloons at each other and we'll have water cannons and they can just get soaking wet out there in the, in the backyard. I said, wonderful, do it. And they did. And church, somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 kids left the church that day soaking wet full of hot dogs and chips and soft drinks, backpacks and binders full of school supplies. And they came to me after, well, they said, Richard, you should have been here. This was great. The kids loved it. The parents loved it. The reason they had to come to me afterward and tell me about it, because I got caught, I got caught out on an emergency hospital visit. I wasn't even there. The church did it all. They did it. Why did they do that? Why did the church do that? Because they were committed to doing the work and they're convinced that Jesus Christ is coming soon. They're convinced of it. Here at this church, when you have a death in your church, you feed the family, don't you? You do. You, you have people to bring in food and, and, and you, you, you send the food out to the people. Or maybe you, have, you feed them in a, in a fellowship hall, ever, ever how you do that. Because you understand there's no better way to relieve stress than spending time with family around a meal. You see, you're dedicated to doing the work. You're committed to doing the work because you're convinced that Jesus Christ is coming soon. You had vacation Bible school here this summer, didn't you? You brought kids into this sanctuary and you told them about Jesus Christ. You took time out of your life. You took time out of your schedule to come here every day that week and tell these kids about Jesus Christ because you were committed to doing the work and you're convinced that one day soon Jesus Christ is coming back. Every Tuesday, I think almost every Tuesday, Jim is here. Barsh is here, Roger is here, Kenny is here, Bev is here. I think Gerald Ray comes, and they come and they get around this piano, and they practice all the music for the upcoming Sunday. This past year, you had an Unday Sunday ministry, right? Yeah, you, and, and, and you had new underwear, not used, right? <laughs> yeah, new underwear that you gave away. Now, you're taking up food for higher ground ministry. This past Monday, this past Monday at 6 o'clock, there were 16 people in this church. All of us were praying together, asking that God would give guidance and direction to this congregation. Why? Because you're committed to doing the work and you're convinced that one day soon Jesus Christ is coming back. And I could say the same thing for the youth leaders on Wednesday night that would love to have this fellowship hall full of children. For Donnie and the other, and Frank and the other teachers who, who go over their lesson all week long so they can present a, a, a Sunday school lesson to you on Sunday morning. Why do you do that? Because you're committed to doing the work and you're convinced that one day soon Jesus Christ is coming back. Church, you see, I believe that this scripture... This scripture that I read to you this morning, Jesus expects his followers to wear aprons instead of bibs. Now, I'm not sure if you understand what I'm saying or not. Huh? Yeah, listen, I, I'm, I'm convinced of that. You see, if you don't understand, let me explain it to you. You see, bibs are only for people who want to be fed. Amen? Bibs, bibs are for people who are not ready or willing to feed themselves. Bibs are for those who are more interested in being served 
than serving. Bibs are for those who insist that the church exists for them and their needs. Bibs are for babies in the faith. Babies in the faith. They just haven't caught this, this God-given vision of the church yet. They just haven't caught it. But aprons, on the other hand, aprons are for those who have a heart to serve other people. Aprons are for those who know that they are the church. We are the church. Amen? We are the church. Aprons are for those who don't mind getting their hands dirty. Aprons are for those who take time every day to spiritually feed themselves. Aprons are for those who are growing in the faith and have a hunger to see other people be filled up with the Spirit of God. There, were, there, was, a, listen, there was a church growth consultant. He conducted interviews. He went all over America. And he asked everyone he come in contact with. These were church people, okay? He asked every one of them one question. This was the question. Why do you believe the church exists? Why do you believe the church exists? Fasten your seatbelt, okay? 88% of the people he talked to said the church exists to serve my needs and the needs of my family. 88% of Christians in America are still wearing bibs instead of aprons. They believe that the church exists to serve them, not so the church can serve the world. There are so many people today, believe me when I say this, okay, I, I, I pastored churches for 25 years. I was in contact with other pastors on a daily basis. And believe me when I tell you that this is true, that there are so many people today attending dying churches that could care less that their church is dying. The only thing they want to see happen is for the doors of the church to stay open long enough so they can have their funeral there. That's it. That's the only thing they care about. The church, remember. Do you remember on the night when Jesus was betrayed? Do you remember on the night when Jesus had the Last Supper with his, his disciples? Do you remember what Jesus did? Jesus took off his outer garment and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he got down on his feet and he washed the feet of his disciples. Just hours before he was to be crucified, Jesus gave you and I, you and me, an example to follow. The church is to wear aprons, not bibs. We exist to serve the world, not each other. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, Jesus said, If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it up for me, you'll find it. Church, <laughs> can't be any clearer. Jesus is calling on the church to bail the cat. He's calling on us to do the hard, difficult, dirty work, whatever it is. We are to wear aprons and not bibs. I'm sure, I'm sure it hurt Jesus on this day to see his followers turn around 
and walk away from him. I'm sure that hurt him. And that's when he turns around. He looks at his disciples and he said, are you going to leave? Peter said, we don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> we don't have anywhere to go. We, we believe that you have the words of eternal life and we believe and know in our heart that you are the Holy One sent, with, by, sent by God. And that's why we're here this morning. That's why we're here today. That's why many of you, that's why many of you have exchanged your bibs for aprons. Because you've made a decision that just the casual involvement in the church, that just doesn't work anymore. That just doesn't work. You understand that God needs all of us, all of us, bailing the cat. Every one of us. God needs all of us doing the work of the kingdom of God. All of us willing to go all the way wherever he leads us because he's our master and he's our Lord. He's our inspiration. He's the example of our well-doing. And Jesus was willing to bail the cat for us. You see, I'm convinced as he hung there on the cross, he saw what was going on. He saw them gambling for his garments. He saw his mother crying. He saw people on out farther just going on about their daily routine, never even looking his way. But you know what I'm convinced of? That he looked a little farther down the road than that, Frank. I believe he looked like 2,000 years down the road, and he said, if I don't do this, Richard doesn't stand a chance. If I don't do this... If I don't do this, Danny will never make it to heaven. If I don't do this, Donnie, there's no way you ever walk through the streets of gold, through those gates of pearl. If I don't stand, if I don't hang here, and if I don't bail the cat, if I don't do the hard, difficult work of making salvation available for everyone. So the question, the question that we're left at the end of this sermon is simply this. What are we willing to do for Jesus? That's what I want you to take home with you today. What are you willing to do for Jesus? Gracious God, Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you were willing to come to this earth and live for 33 years and suffer humiliation and disgrace and pain beyond anything we could ever imagine. Thank you, Lord God, that you were willing to leave the splendor of heaven and come to this world where you knew you would be hated and despised and be nailed to a cross just for us. And Lord, now you ask your church, you ask the church to be willing to do the hard, difficult, sacrificing work that needs to be done because time is running out. Lord, for us to go and be with you. And Lord, there are so many people around us that never give you a second thought. But that's where we come in. We are to be the ones who invite them to Christ. Here we are, Lord. Your church, here we are. Speak to us. Guide us. Direct us. 
to your glory and yours alone. Amen. As we stand.